Hello and welcome to the Highly Strange Podcast with Lewis and Kate. Hi everyone. Hello. How are you? Not too bad. Good. Um, obviously we missed a week last week, but we're back. Sarah decided that her appendix was going to explode. I assume she had some sort of control over it. I don't know how the appendix works, but she had surgery and it's all been taken out, so... What Lewis means to say is, Sarah, we hope you're starting to feel a bit better and you're recovering well. What actually happened was that she was so intimidated by the planned episode I was going to record last week that her body just crumbled under the fear. I look forward to what's going to happen then. So I'll come up with a slightly different episode for this week. Because you're not really into like the paranormal as much as I am, are you? Didn't say that. You you're more into true crime. I like a healthy mix of all sorts of stuff. Well, it's all it's awfully too late now because this is more of a true crime mystery sort of situation. Let's get on with the show. Shall we get into it? In Scandinavian law, the word troll invokes visions of ugly, hairy beings that live under bridges or in caves. Ugly and isolated from society. Trolls were known for their antisocial behaviour and were often quarrelsome, making life difficult for travellers. Whilst trolls have existed in folklore for centuries, over the past 20 years a new usage of the term has emerged. With the explosion of worldwide communication and the ability to disguise yourself online, internet trolls have become a modern facet of digital life. On a wide scale, internet trolls vary from causing mild annoyance on your Facebook status to being, in some cases, genuinely harmful for the victim's mental health. Whilst trolling is a relatively recent phenomenon, the general premise has been going on for over a century. Poison pen letters are anonymous letters which are intended to upset or cause distress to the receiver. They differ from blackmail, which is intended to extract something, in that they are purely malicious. A poison pen letter can elicit anger, fear and a general feeling of upset from the person who receives it, much to the delight of the author. In the early 1900s, poison pen letters had become a serious issue in the United States. In 1909, in the city of Elizabeth, located near New York City, a sneaking individual possessed of a serpent typewriter, as the newspapers put it, launched a campaign of hurtful verbal harassment against some of the city's best people with a series of anonymous letters, some innocuous, some cat-like, some downright indecent. One of the letters that was made public hatefully accused a respectable Elizabeth matron of clandestinely prostituting herself to men in New York. And here's one of the letters. She keeps one or two rumours and does a little dressmaking to hide her double life. Look at her clothes of elegance. Yet her husband is a baggage checker on the Pennsylvania Railroad in winter and purser on the Hudson River ferry boat in the summer. Never saw $80 a month in his life. Yet they keep a maid and she is on the go all the time. Once a week she meets an Elizabeth man over on Staten Island and once a week she meets a New York man in New York City and in that way she makes $40 a month. She will do anything but honest work for money. Oh, saucy. Catty. <laughs> so they're basically saying that this woman's a prostitute. prostitute. <laughs> Another woman in Elizabeth received a constant stream of free literature on obesity, insanity, alcoholism and drug addiction. Five years later, the victim's next door neighbour was arrested and subsequently charged with the poison pen letters. The sender, 
the highly esteemed Mrs. Anna Pollard, was the president of the Elizabeth Ladies Aid Society and a well-respected member of the church. So she would send this person, you know, like, if you wanted to wind some up, you'd send them, like, le- not letters, like, post about shit that mm-hmm. they don't want. That's basically what she did. It's like, like people sending takeaways to people's houses that they're trying to observe. Yeah. During her trial, which lasted over 10 hours, a handwriting expert testified that the same machine which had produced the type on letters Mrs. Pollard had indisputably typed with her personal typewriter had done so as well as well with the poison pen letters. Type, he explained, could be like handwriting individually identified. In this case, imperfections in the letters H, E, I, O and U were identical in all the documents. The defence countered with testimony from Mrs Pollard's maid that many townswomen had dropped in at the Pollard house to use Mrs Pollard's typewriter, including Mrs Jones' estranged sister-in-law, whom the defence tried vigorously to implicate in the crime. The jury, whether genuinely perplexed over all the typewriter testimony, or simply unwilling to accept that a woman of such standing as Mrs Pollard could do such a thing, voted to acquit. As soon as Mrs Pollard went through, the sending of poison pen letters recommenced, this time not in type, but in the form of hand-printed block letters and words cut and pasted from newspapers, like the classic, like stereotypical, like, ransom note sort of thing. Mrs Pollard was once again arrested and charged for the letters, but this time she confessed, her motivation for doing so evidently having been her keen social jealousy. At her sentencing, a sobbing Mrs Pollard was let off lightly by the judge, who declined to give the Elizabeth matron any jail time and fined her only $200, which is around $5,000 today. Okay. So because she was a well-standing member of the community, she seems to have got away scot-free. Tory. Nothing has changed. So that's a, that's a fun little introduction to Poison Pen Letters. Shall we get on with today's story? Let's get to it. Let's get a step in. Born to a working class family in Maine, Derek Brodus worked his way up the job ladder until he became the senior vice president of a large insurance company. His wife, Maria, grew up in the affluent area of Westfield in New Jersey. It wasn't until June 2014 that the Broduses were able to purchase their dream property in Maria's hometown, a massive six-bedroom, $1.3 million property. Westfield, just 16 miles southwest of Manhattan, as of 2010 has a population of just 30,000 people. In 2018, Bloomberg ranked it as the 99th highest income place in the United States. And in 2014, at the time of the following events, it was rated the 30th safest city to live in the United States. According to local residents, at the time of this story, The most pressing issues were the roof collapse of the town's Trader Joe's and the rampant unconstitutional policing by which they were referring to aggressive parking enforcement. After all, Westfield is 86% white. So it's basically very affluent, well-to-do area. Mm. I've I've seen pictures, it looks very nice. It's got big houses, white picket fences what you sort of imagine, like a rich, American rich area of America, yeah. Kevin Feige of Marvel Studios lives there. Oh. Yeah. That's a bit of, bit of fun fact I learned while researching this case. Be sure to keep that in a box for later. We dro- <laughs> drop by and tell him what he's time to sort it out. So why? Marvel. 
bring back Iron Man. I don't know. Make more Spider Man films. Okay. Okay. Get on. <laughs> when they purchased the property, 657 Boulevard, it still needed some renovations. Before moving themselves and their three children in, Derek was just doing some painting when he went through the mail that had been left over in the property whilst it had been left empty. There wasn't anything of note except one envelope, a white card with chunky handwriting addressed to the new owner. The letter started quite pleasantly. Perhaps Derek started to read it and felt affirmed in his decision to invest over a million dollars on this property. Maybe not after he read the whole message. Dearest new neighbour at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighbourhood. That's quite pleasant, isn't it? Mm. Things immediately took a turn. How did you end up here? The writer asked. Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? The letter continued. 657 Boulevard had been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. Well, it's just a just a nice little letter to receive when you move in, isn't it? I mean, we didn't get anything like that here. Did we not? No, we live in Park Woods, so most people can't write. Oh. <laughs> Shut up. Um, no, the only letter we had since we were here was um, from Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, we've had Jehovah's Witnesses, yeah. That was a handwritten letter, weren't it, trying to get us to join the Jehovah's? Yeah, it's a bit much. We're now Jehovah's Witness, by the way. It's yeah. now a Jehovah Witness podcast. <laughs> <laughs> The writer had obviously been already been doing his homework. The letter identified the Brodus's Honda minivan as well as the workers renovating the home. I see already that you've flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be, the person wrote. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. Earlier in the week, Derek and Maria had gone to the house and chatted with their new neighbours, while their children, who were five, eight and ten years old, ran around the backyard with several kids from the neighbourhood. The letter writer seemed to have noticed. You have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. The anonymous correspondent wrote before asking if there were more on the way. Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. Dun, dun, dun. It's dramatic, isn't it? The letter was signed off in the handwritten cursive font, The Watcher. Have you heard of The Watcher? No, I haven't. You've not heard of The Watcher? Well, not in this context. No. Oh, wait, no, I'm thinking of something else. What are you thinking of? I'm thinking of The Witcher. The Witcher? <laughs> I haven't watched that. Oh, oh. 
I'm actually just retelling the story of the witch because it's so light on content. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> no, the pictures I've seen, it doesn't match up. Sorry. Oh. It was after 10 p.m. and Derek Broaddus was alone. He raced around the house, turning off lights so no one could see inside, then called the Westfield Police Department. An officer came to the house, read the letter and said, What the fuck is this? <laughs> Which is, I believe, the professional response that police are trains, trained him in dealing with the situation. You know, they just turn up and be like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Lucky he didn't get shot, to be fair. Maybe he shot the letter. The, <laughs> the officer... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Is that staying in? Yeah. Okay. The officer asked Derek if he had any enemies, which Derek replied to, No. He went on to recommend that he move some of the decorating equipment from the back porch in case it is thrown through one of the windows. With not a lot else to go on at this point, the officer left a bemused and concerned Derek Broaddus to his new home, alone. After returning to his wife and kids, Derek and Maria wrote an email to John and Andrea Woods, the previous owners of 657 Boulevard, asking them if they had any idea who sent the letter or why the letter explicitly mentioned their names. I asked the Woods to bring me young blood, and it looks like they listened. Andrea Woods replied the next morning. A few days before moving out, the Woodses had also received a letter from the watcher. The note had been odd, she said, and made similar mention of the watcher's family observing the house over time. But Andrea said she and her husband had never received anything like it in their 23 years in the house, and had thrown the letter away without much thought. That day, the Woodses went with Maria to the police station, where Detective Leonard Lugo told her not to tell anyone about the letters, including her new neighbours, most of whom she had never met, and all of whom were now suspects. The Broadduses spent the coming weeks on high alert. Derek cancelled a work trip, and whenever Maria took the kids to the new house, she would yell their names if they wandered into an unseen corner of their expansive garden. When Derek gave a tour of the in-progress work to a couple that lived nearby, he froze when the wife said, It'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighbourhood. The Broaddus' general contractor arrived one morning to find that a heavy sign he'd hammered into the front yard had been ripped out overnight. Two weeks after the letter had arrived, Maria stopped by the house to look at some paint samples and check the mail. She recognised the thick black lettering on a card-shaped envelope and called the police. This time the letter was directly addressed to the Broaddus'. However, their name was misspelled. So I come to a theory that the watcher had probably heard their name being spoken out loud but didn't have a clue how to spell it. Mm-hmm. Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy and I've been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time they will. I'm pleased to know your names now and the name of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often. The letter asked about one child in particular whom the writer had seen using an easel inside an enclosed porch. Is she the artist in the family? 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basements, or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. 
It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the watcher and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Bradders family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard. And now it's brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. So these letters, they are terrifying, aren't they? Yeah, it's a bit creepy. Yeah, a bit creepy. <laughs> Can you imagine if we got them living here? <laughs> like, you can't escape the house to get out for safety because there's only one way in or one out. Oh, we don't live in a house, we live in a flat. Well, I, I, I'll keep watch just in case we have a weirdo watching us. And they'll be like, I see you watching me, I'm watching you. And then the letters would just be that back and forth. When normally the weirdo's watching out. Of- yeah, we're, <laughs> I'm always standing in the window. I'm the watcher. After this... The family stopped bringing their children to the property. This new letter was a clear escalation, and now they were not even sure if they were going to complete the move. A few days after the first letter, Maria and Derek went to a barbecue across the street, welcoming them and another new homeowner to the neighbourhood. The brothers hadn't told anyone about the watcher, as the police had instructed, and found themselves scanning the party for any suspects, desperately trying to figure out who the watcher was. And it's not a party vibe I'd be into. No. Especially knowing that any of these people could be, like, wanting your young blood. (laughs) Was this before or after the song Young Blood came out? I imagine this was before. This is 2014. Possibly. I think it's probably before. I'd sing it, but we'd probably get some sort of copyright strike. And we would lose all our listeners. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) To be fair, it's the only song of Five Seconds of Summer that I like. (laughs) And I found it through something else, not even because of being them. (laughs) Derek was chatting with John Schmidt, who lived two doors down, when Schmidt told him about the Langfords, who lived between them. Peggy Langford was in her 90s, and several of her adult children, all in their 60s, lived with her. The family was a bit odd, Schmidt said, but harmless. He described one of the younger Langfords, Michael, who didn't work and would just watch everything that happened around the neighbourhood. So it's a bit of a weird family dynamic. Like, the mum's in her 90s. Yeah. And, like, all the kids, like, in their 60s. And they're all living together. We'll talk a bit about um, Michael Langford in a bit. Derek thought the case was solved. The Langford house was right next to the easel on the porch. The family had lived there since the 1960s, when the watcher's father, the letters said had begun observing 657 Boulevard. Richard Langford, the family patriarch, had died 12 years earlier, and the current watcher claimed to have been on the job for the better part of two decades. When the Brodesses told Lugo about the family, he said he already knew, and a week after the first letter arrived, he brought Michael Langford to the police headquarters for an interview. Michael denied knowing anything about the letters, but the Brodesses say that Lugo told them that the narrative of what he said matched things mentioned in the letters. In the letters, so Unfortunately for the Brodesses, there was absolutely no evidence that this was the case. As such, unless there was a direct admission of guilt, there wasn't much more that the police could do. 
and suggested that they should install home security and keep an eye out for anything suspicious. Becoming increasingly frustrated with the lack of police intervention, the Brodesses began their own private investigation. They employed a private investigator who staked out the neighbourhoods and ran background checks on the Langfords, but didn't find anything noteworthy. Derek reached out to a former FBI agent who served as the inspiration for Clarice Starling in The Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. So it's Clarice, isn't it? Yeah. Clarice Starling in The Silence of the Lambs. I've got a question. Go on. How were these letters coming to the house? They were just appear just Put through the letterbox? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I believe they did have the address on as well. But the, there was the, no like, stamp on postage? No, there was no stamp or postage. The, the, letter, the, front, the envelope had like pen handwritten and, and the inside it was typed. Oh, okay. So yeah, this, he reached out to an FBI agent that was the inspiration for Clarice in Silence of the Lambs. They were, apparently they were on a high school board of trustees together. It's all about who you know know these rich people. They also hired Robert Lenahan, another former FBI agent, to conduct a threat assessment. Lenahan recognised several old-fashioned ticks in the letters that pointed to an older writer. The letters had a certain literary panache, which suggested a voracious reader and a surprising lack of profanity given the level of anger, which Lenahan thought meant a less macho writer. So... As I was talking about at the start with like the the old poison pen letters, they do tend to be written by women. Okay. That's so that was maybe what he's suggesting. That's a less macho writer means he's a woman. He's the what the watcher is a woman. Based on the way they were letters were written. Yeah, there's no sort of <coughs> Yeah, so they he he believes it could possibly be a woman, which poison pen letters tend to be. Lenehan didn't think the Watcher was likely to act on the threats, but the letters had enough typos and errors to imply a certain erraticism. The first letter was dated Tuesday, June the 4th, but that day was a Wednesday. There was also a seething anger directed at the wealthy in particular. Lenehan recommended investigating former housekeepers or the descendants and suggested that maybe the Watcher was jealous that the Brodesses had purchased a property that they themselves couldn't afford. By the end of 2014, the investigation had totally stalled. There was no digital footprint, no fingerprints, and no way to place someone at the scene of the crime. After all, the letters could have been sent from any postbox in New Jersey. Derek went as far as to show the letters to a priest who agreed to bless the house. What year was this set in? This was 2014. How was the envelope sealed? With his tongue, or her tongue. Not checking for DNA. We'll get to that in a little bit. Oh, jumping ahead. <laughs> I don't know what you would be thinking of when you're asking a priest to bless the house. They're not like haunted letters. If this was one of Sarah's stories, this would be a haunted letter. <laughs> but I did write that priests are particularly fond of young blood themselves. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. You might have more listeners if you stop saying that sort of stuff. Our listeners love that sort of stuff. They love it. (laughs) It had been six months and the family still hadn't moved into the house they had purchased for over a million dollars. And the financial strain was starting to affect their mental health. That and the letters were starting to become more unhinged. 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? 
It used to be my friend, and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. So that's that's pretty scary as well. It's always creepy stuff and it has to involve kids somehow. Yeah, not just not just kids, but like using the phrase young blood to refer to oh, children. Yeah. Well, yeah, that obviously, uh, that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I'd imagine the brothers are feeling a little bit uncomfortable. No, the, the young blood. Mm, yeah. They finally decide to cut their losses and put the house up for sale. They were currently living with Maria's parents, as they had already sold their own home. Reflecting the renovations made to 657 Boulevard, they put it up for sale for more than they bought it, raising the anger and suspicions of the entire town of Westfield, who started to come to the conclusion that perhaps they were feeling buyer's remorse and concocted the watcher letters themselves as a way of getting out of the arrangement. If this was the case, however, it horribly backfired. 657 Boulevard became a local urban legend. Kids would challenge each other to walk past it at night. It was going to be a hard sell. Further, the case was starting to gather national attention, with national news reporting on the watcher, and even certain groups on Reddit trying to investigate it themselves. As you know, Reddit does like to do. You're saying about them trying to get out? Mm. There's a bit about buyer's remorse. You see where you are? Yeah. What was that bit? Well, that they had buyer's remorse? That they had buyer's remorse and concocted the watcher's letter themselves. To get out of... Out of the arrangement of buying the house. Oh, okay. But haven't they already bought it already? Well, yeah, you can buy a house, they've got the mortgage, but maybe they decided that they realised that they couldn't afford it and they couldn't, didn't want to pay the mortgage and they wanted to the fuck get out. What do with the rest of the town? Well, it's a, it's a, they're like a, it's like a nosy neighbourhood. It's all well-to-do people. You can imagine what they're like. Would you using that bit then for actually... Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's right. <laughs> We're professionals. <laughs> you pause We're just having a chat. <laughs> I always pause for effect. It's not that I'm, I'm always losing where I am. So, yeah, like, these certain groups on Reddit, you know what they're like. They find a mystery and they run with it, like the, the Boston bombings, that sort of thing. But, um... You say it, though... Don't fuck with cats. Don't fuck with cats, yeah. That that was a good example. That's when online vigilantism goes well, but like what they did with the Boston bombers, that didn't quite go so well. Do you know that story? Where they thought they identified who the Boston bombers were. But and, they weren't actually. And it wasn't actually the person, and that person ended up committing suicide because of everything that came with that. Yeah, I could see how that would um, so, be bad. Yeah, so they were... Um, looking at, like, Google Maps images of the house and looking, they saw pictures of someone sitting in a car outside the house and assumed that was the watcher, that sort of thing. Due to the national pressure being placed on Westfield, Baron Chambliss, a veteran detective in the Westfield Police, was asked to look at the case. Chambliss knew his colleagues had looked closely at Michael Langford. According to his brother Sandy, Michael had been diagnosed with schizophrenia as a young man. 
He sometimes spooked newcomers to the neighbourhoods when he did strange things, like walk through their backyards or peek into the windows of homes that were being renovated. But those who knew him told him that the odd things he did were mostly just unusual neighbourly kindness. So I don't think like a man looking through my back window is neighbourly kindness. I like would find that quite uncomfortable. Well, if someone was able to do that, to yeah. us, it'd be impressive. <laughs> they don't live on the ground floor. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, I think, I suppose if you understood his situation afterwards, you'd be like, okay, fine. As Shambliss looked into the case, he discovered something surprising. Investigators had eventually conducted a DNA analysis on one of the envelopes and determined that the DNA belonged to a woman. Shambliss decided to look more closely at Abby Langford, Michael's sister, who worked as a real estate agent. However, once again the DNA sample was not a match. Not long after, the prosecutor's office gave Derek and Maria some unexpected news. They wouldn't say why or how, but they had ruled out the Langfords as suspects. The nation was fueling theories that once again the Brodesses had sent the letters themselves. So... They're saying it's not the Langfords at all, and they won't say why they don't think it is mm-hmm. at this point. So, once again, we're up to like having no idea. So, again, the immediate assumption is to blame the blame the victims, as if they're writing the letters to themselves. As if they're writing the letters to themselves. Have they tested their handwriting against the uh, envelopes? Well, the thing the the envelopes are in with a big blocky like sharpie. So it's hard to like tell someone's handwriting from that. And the watcher that's written in the envelopes is like really cursive, so that's not a normal handwriting style either. Mm. The theory, so far as it went, was that the Brodesses had suffered buyer's remorse or realised they couldn't afford the home and concocted an elaborate scheme to get out of the sale. Or Derek was cooking up some kind of insurance fraud. Or they were angling for a movie deal. The Brodesses received several offers but turned them down. Lifetime eventually released a movie called The Watcher, despite a cease and desist letter from the Brodesses, arguing that the couple in its movie was biracial and the letters were signed The Raven. So that makes it different enough to be able to release the film and not be affected by the cease and desist. So they didn't want the film made in the first place? No. They didn't like that the name was changed and the... People playing them didn't look like them. Well, they didn't like that the film was being made, but Lifetime said that it was fine because the couple were biracial and the watcher was called The Raven. So that it was fine they could release that and it's not anything to do with their story. But they were the only two changes made to the story. So, like, the town and everything else stayed the same? Yeah, well, essentially, like, that sort of town. I've... There is actually, I did come across the film on Amazon Prime, but I couldn't bring myself to watch it because it looked dreadful. It had really bad IMDb, IMDb reviews. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we'll watch it later. After we've done this, we'll watch the film. Oh, something to look forward to. <laughs> but I can't imagine that being a particularly interesting film to watch. Just a couple of people living in a house and they get menacing letters. Unless, like, Liam Neeson comes in and starts shooting them. I don't see it being exciting. Just letters from Maze Dunbar Council. They are. They are, that is horror. To be fair, that is pure horror. Your council, council tax, tax is going <laughs> up, but we're not going to rip to your bins. <laughs> oh, the horror! 
No, but sort it out. If Maidstone, Maidstone Council, if you're listening to this, we pay your council tax. It's gone up this month, and my bin is still sitting out in the roads full. Sort it out. Apparently a tree came down in the road and blocked the uh, bin lorry, but that's not the point. They could have come another day. We're keeping this in. When did you see that? It was on Facebook. You didn't? I didn't know. You never said. <laughs> Mum sent it to me. Oh. I thought she sent it to both of us. No, I didn't see. Oh, I do apologise. Whilst all this national uproar continues and the Broadduses were made outcasts in Westfield, the house was still not selling. They had an open house but had no takers. So that the source I was reading, apparently people come into the open house and were like, yeah, 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 I don't care about the letters, I'll buy your house. And then apparently they just wouldn't like contact them again, they bottled it. I think a lot of that was probably people just wanting to come and see the house in general and having a nose around. Yeah. And normally at those sort of things, they have, like, free food and stuff. So some <laughs> people, <laughs> I've seen, literally just turn up to open houses just for the free food. Honestly, it's a good idea. We went to a lot of wedding fairs just for the free cake. And the goodie bags. And the goodie bags. <laughs> but, I mean, I'd like to go and have a look. If, if it was, like, a six-bedroom mansion... And they, like, lowered the price because he was getting threatening letters from a lunatic. I'd be like, you know what? If I can afford it, I'll have it and I'll just deal with the letters. We we would never have a six-bedroom house. If you remember, we'll come back to this statement at the end of the story. Right. And then I'll make my decision. <laughs> and until we start our Patreon and then we'll get a mention. Because of our lovely listeners. I keep threatening it. Get ready. After two and a half years of legal battles with the population of Westfields, including the Woodses for selling them the house knowingly after receiving letters from the Watcher, they finally had some good luck and found a family that was willing to rent the property with a clause in the lease that if they received threatening letters, they could leave immediately. So, and the source I, the source I got this story from in the New York Times, it went into quite extensively into the legal battles in case they went through but to be fair i left them out because it did almost send me to sleep but if you are interested i'll um i'll post the link to the new york times article about it it's it's pretty interesting so two weeks after the renters moved in derek was handed a final letter that read violent winds and bitter colds to the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good job you weren't drinking when I said it. <laughs> Sorry. The word wench is not used enough. Well, we use it quite often. Yeah. <laughs> you wonder who the watcher is. Turn around, idiots. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so-called neighbours who has no idea who the watcher could be. Or maybe you do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighbourhood and mocked me. I watched as you watched from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the Watcher. <laughs> That's a bit much. <laughs> that is word for word what he wrote. How would you deal with this if it was you? This, what do you think you do? This one I would laugh at. 
I mean, it so, so, sounds nasty at the start, the violent, spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife. But when it ends with all hell, the watcher, it's like he jumped the shark. He got, let the attention go to his head. Because the bit saying, like, you don't know if you've spoken to me or not, or anything like that. I think <laughs> I like a list. So I'd have all the people's <laughs> names and specific thing that I would tell each of them and then wait to see if something cropped up in a letter. And then it would be that person, or I know that that person knows the watcher. You'd play it like a game of guess who, and we'd have a big cork board on the wall with string and like pictures. Like Charlie, and it's always sunny. Yeah, <laughs> it would be like they are not the watcher. <laughs> at the end of the day, like you say, how old I feel about this? Like at the start, they were unnerving. And I suppose they still are at this point as well. But at the end of the day, the Watcher, after two and a half years, still didn't do anything. The worst they did was rip up that sign outside the front of their house. Yeah, but I think it's psychological. Like, the fear of thinking something might happen and not knowing when something can happen is enough to, like, drive people crazy. No, I know that. Yeah, that's that's fair. And I suppose the thing is they have the three children. Obviously, we don't have children, so we can't say, like, when there's children involved, you might be more sensitive to the threat. Well, yeah, like, if we, if you're letting them play outside, you'd have to worry if you're not watching them the whole time. Yeah. But, like, it's just me and you. I don't worry that you run out into the car park and I'm not going to see you again. You should. <laughs> you don't like leaving home. You wouldn't go anywhere. Well, even if you're not watching them in the garden, you know, there's always someone watching them. So they'd be relatively safe. It's the watcher. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, whilst Westfield has wholly forgotten about the watcher, it still impacts the Broadduses every day. The investigation continues to this day in the background, but we will likely never know who the watcher was. The Broadduses hope that after a few years without watcher activity, they will finally be able to sell the house and move on with their lives without being watched. Ah, uh, love ending with a joke. <laughs> so yeah, that's the story of the Watcher so far. It's not really paranormal, but it's a mystery. It's a bit creepy. It's a bit spooky. Slightly strange. I wish I could see find all of the letters that were sent because the one the letters I included were just from from the main article, like the expose about the Watcher the watcher's story but they are really interesting they're fun to read yeah i did enjoy reading out the letters i can't wait to watch the film i guess some people just need a hobby yeah <laughs> <Stop waiting. laughs> like what wait to spend your time honestly that could sum up every episode we do some people just need a hobby <laughs> i mean some people have hobbies but like <laughs> <laughs> yeah true probably not a healthy one <laughs> <laughs> looking into someone's house isn't a hobby. Looking after an old like building, a revered building in the in the local area is not a decent hobby. You know, people are well into buildings. This guy just likes to watch them, like bird watching. It's like building watching. It's people watching. Young blood watching. Oh. I like to watch the young blood. That has to come out. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's staying in hundred percent. So yeah, what do you think? Who do you think the watcher was? Do you think it was one of their neighbors? Well, do you think it was one of their neighbors? Well, it has to be someone that lives in the town. Yeah. Otherwise, it's quite. If you don't live in the town, it, how do you know what's happening now? Well, it's quite a small knit community, so presumably it would be someone in the town. Like if it was one of their direct neighbors, if it was 
one of the Langfords, even though the police said it wasn't. But then maybe the police were covering their own tracks. Maybe it was the police. Could be a part of it. Could be Detective Lugo. It's like the thing with the town being annoyed because they want to move. Like, it's a bit extensive to then give them grief for that. Like, people move all the time. It's not a right fit. It's not a right fit. I think... I think the main concern for the townspeople was that there's quite an exclusive club and they felt that if this was ruining the property market and the property values in that town... I was waiting for you to do it. Sorry, you... What? No, say what you were saying. That's what I was saying. That was my point. It's all about money. Yeah, it's all about money, essentially. Like the watcher says. It's all about greed. Someone's got cloaks on as part of a secret society. A secret, the Westfield Secret Society. Maybe there was more than one watcher. It was a network. It could have been a network of the neighbours all together. It could have been the watcher. Guess we'll never know. To be fair, though, I like people watching. Not like people, <laughs> like when you're out and about, not like watching someone's house. Choose your words carefully. I'll just clarify what I meant. <laughs> It was like last night when we was out in, I was out in town, just watching people. Honestly, it's yeah. You can watch people when you start sending them letters referring to their children as young blood. That's when you stop. So that's my advice for the week: don't send people's people letters referring to their children as young blood. Yeah. Yes, that's a good tip. Brilliant tip. Brilliant tip. Top tip. We we do like to be educational and highly strange. So who you recommended this episode to? Um, oh, I won't expect you to spring that on me, to be honest. You took me by surprise. Neighbourhood Watch. <laughs> recommend this to... Oh, Recommend this one to your contractor who's working on your house. Someone's painting your house. Let, let them listen to this. Who would you, who would you rec? I'm going to pass on to you. You're the guest here. Who do you think we should recommend this to? People who enjoy wa- watching stuff. People who enjoy watching things. Neighborhood watch. <laughs> peeping toms. Peeping my ideas. <laughs> a little bit of peeping. A little bit of re- a letter writing. Recommend this to your nearest pervert. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I've said the whole way through. The young blood bit makes me feel uncomfortable. So. What's the, what's the band that sings that song? Five Seconds of Summer. Yeah. Recommend this to Five Seconds of Summer. Get it out to their fans. So, um, email us your theories if you think you know who the watcher was um, at highlystrangepod at gmail.com. Maybe send in an email if you've ever received strange letters. Mm. If you've if you've ever received any letter, we'd like to know. <laughs> the council tax is if, up. if you received a horrible bill let us know um, oh that's not something to joke about at the minute. no it's not it's very bad timing for that um, find us on Instagram highly strange pods I'll be posting a picture of the house to be honest there's not really anything exciting to post about in this story I might see if I can find any picture of the letters but I don't think they exist so it will just be a picture of a nice house so that would make our Instagram look nice oh you can go and visit 657 Boulevard, send him a letter. You got the address, 657 Boulevard, um, Westf- Westfield, New Jersey. Send him a letter, say that we sent you. 
don't don't do that don't do that <laughs> not that I'd expect it to happen but like if the letters carry on coming and then you get people highly strange podcast sent me here <laughs> so yeah um, leave us a review we've had we've had a few more nice reviews on iTunes um, whenever I see them it makes me smile so send some more make Lewis smile made Sarah smile while she's um, drugged up at the moment oh we hope you get better soon. She will be with us hopefully soon. She is with us. She's not dead. She's fine. She'll be f- hopefully next week. You'll be back to normal, right? <laughs> Help me. Oh, Sarah, please take this burden off of my hands. <laughs> it's the rambling at the end that I struggle with. <laughs> see, you, see you later. Have a good week, everyone. Bye.